Good afternoon. It's Friday the 29th of July 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Cold News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson. Joining me in the studio today, Patrick Henningsen. Welcome to the programme, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. And we've got Vanessa Bailey on the video link. So uh, let's get straight on uh, with, well, the Tory leadership. And uh, well, Liz Truss has had a fantastic boost this morning because the other warmonger, uh, Ben Wallace, has decided to get behind her. He's published this article in The Times. Liz Truss is, has the experience to stand up for Britain. Uh, because after all, she says all the right things at all the right times, uh, calling for people to go and fight in Ukraine as mercenaries, for example, sets her up perfectly to become prime minister. Um, so uh, it's a, a welcome measure of modern politics that integrity features so highly in voters' priorities. And what he's talking about there is integrity initiative, I suspect. This is the anti-Russian narrative uh, and so on. Um, but, uh, well, unfortunately for Liz, the Kremlin has decided that she's unfit for purpose. Uh, and let's just uh, bring up what it says here. This is an absolutely disgraceful propaganda piece in the mail uh, because Liz Truss's fortitude on a Kremlin visit appeared to shock Mr. Lavrov, says the uh, writer of this article in the mail. Uh, and Lavrov, he says, is a veteran of frosty diplomatic encounters over many decades. Uh, but Moscow's propaganda channels uh, he says, after uttering such propaganda uh, last night, suggested Miss Truss is not fit to control the nuclear button. Uh, do you think she's fit to control the nuclear button? Oh, I don't know. What Lavrov's talking about is her geography skills, right? Uh, well, and her history skills as well. And so her she, history yes. skills and a few other uh, skills. You know, I, I don't know. I don't think she doesn't uh, display any, you know, obvious leadership qualities. Neither does Rishi Sunak. It's, they seem like sort of bottom of the deck. Uh, but is there anything on the top of the deck? I think, or did they get rid of all those? Uh, I think they've got rid of all those, but uh, let's just uh, demonstrate how much Liz is perfect for the job because as Prime Minister, she said, uh, I will be Ukraine's greatest friend following in the footsteps of Boris Johnson and commit completely to ensuring Putin fails in Ukraine and suffers a strategic defeat and that Russia is constrained in the future. Is a strategic defeat different to an actual defeat? Well, she's not doing so well with these uh, predictions here, with these objectives. That's not exactly what's happening, is it? No. Uh, at the moment. But, no, you know, it, it's important to, to still say it, to still call out the Russians, right? That's what's important. Call out. We're going to call out Putin and call out the Russians. Yes. Uh, and well, uh, anyway, let's move on. And uh, well, we've got, I don't know how you managed to pull this off, Patrick, but RT banned in this country, of course. Uh, EU makes new Russian gas pledge. Uh, the gas situation obviously heading the headlines today. Yeah, yeah. No, we get that. We get these leaked to us, uh, Mike. Uh, these screenshots from RT sent from uh, somewhere in Europe, uh, and this is an interesting one. So the, the EU is still making this pledge that they're going to cut uh, Russian gas consumption. So uh, you know, it's forty percent now. They've already got it down to twenty. They're going to get it down to zero by what, next year or something like that? Right. So you keep seeing these announcements, but they don't actually stack up um, to the actual statistics in terms of, of energy consumption. And uh, besides that, there's a lot of pushback against this 0% uh, gas strategy with Russia from a lot of other EU member states. That's gonna become a big, big point of contention in the winter. Well, it certainly is, because the question is, are there enough uh, bulk carriers to carry the the uh, liquefied natural gas from the United States to Europe. Uh, and what is the environmental disaster that's happening in the US in the meantime, as this is all fracked? And the, the fracking is, is projected, Mike, to grow to the year 2050 right now. There's a lot of activity on futures uh, for that type of an industry, hyd hydraulic fracturing uh, for oil and gas. So, yes. you know, they, as long as they can keep this policy, this 
bifurcated European energy policy going and this co new Cold War going or Cold Hot War, that the U.S. shale gas and fracking industry is going to be booming, basically. So yes. they're going to get the price they need to make it a viable industry. Does that have anything to do with the United States and Washington's position on this geopolitically and vis-a-vis -vis NATO? One has to ask. Indeed. Uh, but in the meantime, the headlines today are uh, £500 a month bills uh, for energy in the UK. Well, closer to home, you know, they're talking here about why well, the price caps keep rising, don't they? £3,840. So what are they talking about there, Mike? Uh, 500 a month, put that into perspective. Um, 3.8K per annum, 500 a month. Is that an average UK household, what are they kind of basing that on? Yeah, I think so, an average household, yes. Which is what, uh, three three beds, Let's four say, beds, something yes. like that. Okay, so this is going to basically break the back of a large percentage of the population. I, do you know anybody who can afford that? Uh, no. I, I don't know. I, I even know people that are well off that can't afford that. Right. So, I mean, I don't, I don't see how this is tenable at all. I don't see any solutions uh, coming for this. Let's take a closer look here. Uh, at what they're proposing. Well, they're talking, we may get through the winter without major incident, but the gas bill at the end will probably be <laughs> extortionate, says uh, Ralston, one of the spokespeople here, um, adding the final figure could rise uh, if wholesale prices in Europe continue to go higher. There's no solutions being offered by any of these government quangos uh, or agencies here. What else? Wholesale gas prices are up 10 times the normal level over the past decade. They've doubled since June. When they, and this is the, here's the line here. When Russia cut capacity on Nord Stream 1 pipeline to Germany to just 40%. So you see how they're weaving in blame Russia into this uh, scenario. Is that actually true? It, can you actually blame the Russians? Here's Bloomberg again. Uh, UK energy bills set to peak above 500, built into the headline as Russia cuts gas. So there seems to be an effort by the media to put all of this. Um, on Russia. Now, what's the reality of that? We'll come to that in a in minute. A second, yeah. um, so let's take a look at our Tory leadership race. There might be some answers here. Let's take a look. The Brain Trust agrees. Uh, what do they agree on? Well, they agree that something needs to be done. So, uh, and we say something needs to be done with the thumb on the knuckle. There they are, the best and the brightest. That is absolutely you know, see the quality here. Rishi vows to cut VAT from energy bills. Liz says she will remove green levies. Bold moves by these two Tory leadership candidates here. What does that mean, though, in terms of savings? Both proposals would cut less than 200 pounds from your average annual, annual household energy bill. And all we can say with that is, wow. Yeah, because that's a real step in the right direction, isn't it? Big savings. Yes. Big I'm, savings. Uh, that'll, that'll make a difference. I hope people it? can grasp the sarcasm in that. But anyway, that's, that's the uh, best proposals that the best minds in the Tory party can come up with. Excellent. But look, what is the truth? Uh, well, of course, it's all about uh, Russia cutting off the gas supply. Uh, and we're talking about uh, Nord Stream 1 here. Uh, but it's not as if... People didn't understand that this was coming. This uh, maintenance has, has been scheduled on this pipeline for quite some time. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got a massive spat going on between Gazprom and Siemens Energy uh, because uh, one of the turbines or a, a turbines for this uh, pipeline, uh, Siemens are 
supposedly refurbishing and uh, maintaining, but they sent the, the uh, turbine to Canada to do that because in this globalized world where we've got to save energy because of climate change and so on, we ship things halfway across the world in order to maintain them there. Uh, so what has happened in the meantime is that Gazprom is saying that Siemens is not returning the turbine and therefore they can't put, uh, reinstall the turbine in the pipeline and therefore they can't switch on the gas again. Siemens is saying, no, Gazprom, uh, is, we're not, we can't ship it to Gazprom because they haven't done the necessary paperwork in order to get the, the visa approvals to, to move the, the material from Canada to, uh, to, to, to the, the pipeline. So uh, they're fighting amongst each other. And of course, we're not going to get any truth from Reuters. I, I know where I think the truth lies in this, but we're not going to get any truth from Reuters about what the actual situation is. What Russia is saying is what's causing the delays from Canada is Canadian sanctions yes. or sanctions policies that are slowing that up. The Western media won't talk about this. Europeans won't say, they won't mention that it's any of their fault at all. So sanctions policies having a direct impact, a direct impact in this case, on gas prices, on gas supplies in Europe, and our, our, our total mainstream media are totally silent. The only place you can read this is in Russian media, and guess what? We're not, not allowed, allowed to, to read it. We're not allowed to read Russian media, mm -hmm. so that works out really well for our political class, doesn't it? It N does. Nice and clean. Uh, well, speaking of disinformation, which of course is the reason why we're not able to uh, access Russian media, uh, let's uh, remind ourselves of what was going on. Uh, at the very beginning of, uh, well, end of April, beginning of May. Uh, and uh, it's this, uh, the government was claiming that uh, UK-funded expert research has exposed how the Kremlin is using a troll factory to spread lies on social media and in comment sections of popular websites. UK-funded, uh, sorry, the cyber soldiers are ruthlessly targeting politicians and audiences across a number of countries, including UK, South Africa, and India. The research exposes how the Kremlin large scales, the Kremlin's large-scale disinformation campaign is designed to manipulate international public opinion of Russia's illegitimate war in Ukraine. So this is what the UK government was saying at the very beginning of May. Uh, and uh, Liz Truss, of course, at that time Foreign Secretary, now uh, leadership candidate, uh, we cannot allow the Kremlin and its shady troll farms to invade our online spaces with their lies about Putin's illegal war. The UK government has alerted international partners and will continue to work closely with allies and media platforms to undermine Russian information uh, operations. Now, the question in my mind then was, where has this idea of a troll farm come from? And uh, I suggested at the time that it came from this man and his organization within the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office, uh, Andy Price. Uh, he is the head of counter disinformation and media development. And uh, just to remind ourselves what this uh, little clique organization is designed to do, uh, this is what the Foreign Commonwealth Office at the time, this was in November 2019, said about it. Uh, and uh, so the government, they said, takes the issue of disinformation as well as wider online manipulation very seriously. Disinformation is the deliberate creation and dissemination of false and or manipulated information that is intended to deceive and mislead audiences. The Russian government per, uh, persistently uses disinformation as a tool to destabilize perceived enemies. This was evident in the sustained Russian disinformation campaign following the attack in Salisbury. Yes, uh, Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea. This Remember this from 2019 and remains so uh, with Russia's destabilization of East Ukraine and beyond. We will continue to work with EU and international partners to constrain the Russian government's ability to use disinformation and propaganda. 
Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the Eastern Partnership Summit, which took place in 2018, spending uh, 100 million pounds over five years and so on. Uh, and uh, they're also talking about investing 8 million in supporting public services and independent media, including projects in the Baltic states, Ukraine, as well as pan-regional initiatives uh, and so on, alongside British Council and other partners. Well, the, when we reported the, on this in May, uh, we were making the point that this is mostly uh, CSSF, this is Conflict Stability and Security, so, sorry, Conflict Security and Stability Fund uh, money going into that. And where is it going into? Well, it's going into the likes of BBC Media Action. Uh, and, uh, and so, and of course, they operating, uh, as we were highlighting in Ukraine, uh, being funded with CSSF money and so on through the managed fund uh, and uh, huge quantities of money uh, going into this. Uh, okay, so. Uh, and of course, we've got to also remember that Andy Price and his team were also very much involved with the whole integrity initiative, uh, anti-Russian campaign uh, at the time. So let's just remind ourselves as well. Sorry, did you have something you wanted to mention? No, just the, what he laid out there, disinformation and media development. Yes. That's what the government's calling this yes. program. But you can translate that as censorship and propaganda man Correct. and management. Correct. So let's just uh, very remind ourselves what the propaganda network is that the UK runs. Uh, and it's really the stuff on the right-hand side, because the stuff on the left-hand side, we understand is basically intelligence services. But on the right-hand side, you know, the number of government departments now pushing out propaganda or dealing with what they describe as disinformation. Uh, so we've got the Cabinet Office's Rapid Response Unit, National Security Communications Team, 77 Brigade, 13 Signals, the Department for Culture, Digital Culture, Media and Sport, Fake News Unit, HUT 18, uh, the Freedom of Information uh, Clearinghouse, and the Counter Disinformation and Media Development Program. And in fact, that has been expanded now uh, it's now called the Government Information Cell. So anyway, as a result of this uh, particular propaganda that was pushed out by the government in May uh, over tr Russian troll factories, we decided to ask a Freedom of Information request uh, of the uh, uh, Foreign Office. And so we were, they were asked, please provide details of the funding and any contract for this expert research, including names of the organizations involved in gathering the research. Uh, and this is the response that we have now had uh, after 60 working days rather than the requirement uh, under the law for 20 working days. Uh, and they said, uh, I can confirm, that's the Foreign Office, can confirm that the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office does hold the information relevant to your request. I can confirm that this research was conducted through an external implementer funded under the Counter Disinformation and Media Development Program. So we have now confirmation that Andy Price's team uh, was involved in producing this news release. Uh, they then go on to say, uh, well, what do they say? Uh, we are withholding the information related to the contract uh, and research organizations under Section 38, Section 41 and Section 43 of the Act. So there is no freedom of information uh, in this at all. Uh, and the government can act with impunity. They can push out their lies with impunity and there's no way to validate anything that they say. Uh, and so therefore we are not living, and we've said it many times, we're not living in a democracy uh, because we cannot get this information. So let's look at their excuses just very quickly here. Uh, so first of all, uh, we're withholding some information under Section 38, which provides that information exempt, is exempt if its dis disclosure would or would be likely to endanger the physical or mental health of any individual or endanger the safety of any individual. Uh, they say factors against disclosure include the potential danger to individuals if we were to disclose the information requested, 
After careful consideration, we feel that the security of individuals could be potentially seriously compromised. Sources and methods. Uh, sounds, uh, like, sounds like uh, Official Secrets Act. Indeed. Proviso. Uh, so then the next thing was uh, Article 41. We're also withholding information which is exempt under Article 41. This section exempts information where disclosure of the information by the public authority holding it would constitute an actionable breach of confidence. So they're basically claiming that if they were to uh, re release the information, they could be taken to court uh, by the body uh, that has carried out this research on behalf of the Foreign Office. This is complete nonsense uh, because, in fact, uh, bodies that do, act, that do work on behalf of public bodies um, are, in fact, partly covered by the Freedom of Information Act. But anyway, we'll come on to this uh, again at some other time. And we're also withholding some information under Section 43, which covers commercial interests. Uh, release of contract information is likely to be detrimental to the service provider ahead of a tender exercise due to the financial information it provides to, to competitors. This ensures that the, uh, the FCDO can obtain the best possible terms in the upcoming tender competition. So here's the next thing we've got to find out. What is this upcoming tender competition? There is an upcoming tender competition, so we can expect that in the not too distant future, we're going to see more headlines along the lines of Russian troll factories. We have evidence. Uh, but this evidence is bought and paid for. It's not produced independently. And therefore, how can we rely on this evidence? Uh, Vanessa, maybe I could uh, ask you to comment on this because I just find this uh, really a pathetic and, and obscene uh, response to uh, mm. a fairly reasonable question. Uh, we should be able <laughs> to find out the source of the information uh, that has resulted in uh, the, the claims of Russian troll factories pushing disinformation into the West. It's quite incredible that they, they kind of cry victim. We can't release the information because it will endanger the lives of individuals involved while they are harassing and victimizing individuals that are challenging the narrative that is bought and paid for. And the fact is that from Syria to COVID to Ukraine, we know that all the narratives, almost without exception, are bought and paid for. And yet we're not allowed to question them because we will put <laughs> the purveyors of the bought and paid for information at risk. It's insane. While their bought and paid for information puts our lives at risk effectively. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, let's, let's quickly move on to this then because... Uh... Uh, here is a list of alleged trolls. Um, this is a, a, a Ukrainian government website known as uh, uh, the, sorry, the uh, Center for Countering Disinformation. And uh, well, look, they have decided to publish a list of people that they consider to be trolls acting on behalf of Russia. And who's at the top of the list? Graham Fuller. Former CIA operative. Yes. Uh, and uh, well, next on the list is Helga Zeplerush. Uh, and then we've got uh, uh, Colonel Richard Black, Ray McGovern, for example. Um, and we keep on going down the list. Harley Schlanger, another member of the LaRouche organization. Uh, and uh, well, let's see, I'm, I'm going to pass many of these by because there are too many to, but Diane Serra, another member of the LaRouche organization. Running for U.S. Senate in New York against Chuck Schumer. Absolutely. And uh, then we, who else have we got here? Well, Claire Daly, uh, member of the European Parliament. Uh, from Dublin, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, who else have we got? Uh, well, Brian Berletic. Brian Berletic, uh, geopolitical analyst, uh, blogger, uh, Patrick Basham, Polar, 
conservative polar from Florida. Um, yeah, it's an incredible list. So others, others on the list included uh, Scott Ritter, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, Rand Paul, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, retired, uh, Lula da Silva, the former president of Brazil, uh, Eric Zemmour, uh, Marine Le Pen, Glenn Greenwald, uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, and uh, Kim.com for some reason. Kim.com, international relations scholar John Mearsheimer from the University of Chicago, he's top academics. Uh, Jan Oberg, I believe, is on that list as well, who Vanessa knows. Was he a, 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 a Nobel yeah. Peace Prize winner? Uh, or, or, I'm or not he, sure. Or a Peace Prize uh, winner. He's, he's won international yeah, awards. He, but yeah, I mean, he has won international awards, but also Dragana Trifkovic, who's on That's the screen right. at the moment, the Serbian um, activist, and I think she was formerly a politician also. Yeah. I mean, yeah, crazy. <laughs> So it's just an insane list. Yes. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to it. We First, we thought it was a U.S. list being fed to the Ukrainians because it's so crazy and disjointed. It must be from Kiev. So it's just a total act of desperation. I mean, U.S. senators, uh, professors of economics from Colombia. It's a very strange list. So has this list come from the uh, Foreign Office's uh, counter uh, disinformation and media development team? I suspect it has. I'd be very interested to know. It could have been from Nina Jankovitz, uh, who used to work for the Zelensky uh, presidential campaign, who tried to front the Department of Homeland Security's uh, disinformation ministry of truth. Mm -hmm. uh, so she could be involved in this as well behind the scenes. Who knows? But what, what a crazy act of desperation. When you start drawing up lists like this, you know that the end is nigh uh, for your narrative. Yes, okay. Now, if you like what the UK column does, you would like to support us, then please head over to community.ukcolumn.org. There are options to help us out there. Uh, you could pick something up from the UK column shop, uh, but please do share uh, as far and wide uh, any material you find on the various platforms. And then just a final reminder uh, of the Freedom uh, Music Festival taking place uh, t today, tomorrow and Sunday. Uh, Brian and Stephanie have gone to that. You're going to that, Patrick? I am. I'm going to get my ticket uh, tomorrow, I think. Yeah, excellent. So uh, so that will uh, that should be fun for those attending. Um, I unfortunately can't go because I'm heading off for two weeks now. And, uh, well, I won't be for that, So, which is a bit of a shame. But anyway, let's... Uh, yes, sorry, Vanessa. Pat, please speak to Right Said Fred about their um, serious stance because it's appalling. I have messaged them on Twitter and he did say... He was quite happy to talk about it, so please have a word with him. And if I see him, I'll, I'll give. I'll, I'll definitely uh, give him uh, that message. Absolutely. Okay, let's uh, let's move on then to Ukraine, Patrick. Yeah, just a little update on what's going on, and literally as we uh, were putting the news together right before the program, this story uh, broke. This is absolutely incredible. Uh, so this is a prison full of Ukrainian uh, POWs. What happened? It was hit. Uh, by shelling, not by Russia, but by the Ukrainian armed forces. They've shelled their own POWs in Donbass. Let's take a look at what happened. Russia's confirmed that Ukrainian strike on the POW colony at Yelenovka, which housed captured Nazis and Azov regiments. This is coming from Russian media here. Tonight, uh, Ukrainian security forces fired HIMARS. These are Western-supplied rockets uh, at the pretrial detention center in Yelenovka in the Donbass, where Ukrainian military prisoners of war, including Azov formations, etc., 40 Ukrainian prisoners were killed, 75 
wounded eight employees of the detention center were also wounded, says uh, the MOD there. So th like that's crazy. But this is also being uh, this is being accused of being Russian mm. propaganda by Kiev. That's kind of a knee jerk reflex uh, at this point. They do that pretty much for everything. Yes. Uh, but this is pretty widely reported. It seems like a very credible story. Uh, we've seen it in multiple outlets, and you know you don't get, you don't run something like this uh, if it didn't actually happen because there's too many people that would be able to debunk it if it wasn't true. Um, so if if this is the case, this is a major own goal. I'm going to bet right now that you'll not hear any of this in, in the Western in media. the Western mainstream media. No, we'll come back on to what we don't hear in the Western mainstream media in a little bit. Uh, but where does that take us? Well, I want to direct people to this blog. This is an excellent article here, uh, Isgal. If, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The headline, however, is powerful. Uh, I have a chance to kill some Russians. Interviews with foreign volunteers, foreign mercenaries in Ukraine. And some of the stuff in this is just incredible. We'll just give you one highlight here, and we encourage people to read this. It's very revealing. Foreign nationals, many with no prior military experience or training, heeded Zelensky's calls and also other people's calls, uh, <clears throat> Tory leadership race, and poured into Ukraine. Months of reports of heavy casualties among the un undertrained and often underarmed international legion volunteers followed. And look at this. The foreigners were being used as meat shields in the beginning of the conflict, says Sam, a 23-year-old volunteer from the UK. So, I mean, that's what was going on there. And I think by the time I came, they realized sending a bunch of guys with no military experience into battle against the Russians was a pretty bleep uh, idea. idea. I won't say it on air. So, but this, the, the testimonies in this are really interesting. It's very detailed. I can't say you can't. It's hard to vouch for the absolute credibility of everything in an article like this. Mm. But it's very detailed. It seems to be coherent. If it's true, uh, it paints a very dark picture of this kind of environment that these mercenaries are being coaxed to come into, mm. and many have died as a result. Indeed. Um, okay, so uh, let's uh, come on to Melinda Simmons then. Well, if you don't know her already, she is the uh, British ambassador to Ukraine. Uh, I'm not sure if she's in Kiev or Lvov, uh, but let's take a look at what she's saying this week. Look at this. Um, well, I, we don't actually have this because of the uh, Lair situation, um, but the, she's basically saying the G7 ambassadors are in Odessa. And they've basically sorted out the, um, the, the grain deal. They're calling it the, uh, the, the Russian-Ukraine, Turkey, and UN-brokered grain deal, okay? And the, or the Turkey-brokered grain deal here. And they're, they're basically saying Russia must respect the deal. This is a Ukraine-Russia deal, okay? It was facilitated by the UN. Turkey was there involved. But essentially, this is a deal between Ukraine and Russia. And here's the G7 taking credit for it, Britain taking credit mm -hmm. for it, right. and basically saying, Russia, you better stick to this deal. I mean, this just is so typical of what diplomacy has become for the last couple of years. In Syria, it was the same, and now they're doing the same sort of shenanigans um, in Ukraine. And it's, it's kind of laughable on one level, but it's, it, Russia and others will probably ignore this. Um, but it, I don't know what, how do you describe this? Keeping busy? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, how, yeah. how would you describe it? I, I don't know. Well, it is propaganda, of course, but, but yes, it's, a, it's fairly obscene and utterly hypocritical. Uh, but Vanessa, let's, uh, let's move on then to, well, remind ourselves, first of all, 
about uh, this little piece of video uh, and uh, the Zelenskys and their new found uh, fame. Yeah, well, I mean, I woke up to this yesterday. I think it was one of the first things I saw when I opened my uh, Twitter page uh, was Annie Leibovitz leading a, a, a kind of a backslapping establishment parasite class, backslapping campaign, photographing um, the Zelensky couple. And of course, bearing in mind, we've we've got an upcoming interview with none other than Piers Morgan that was also being promoted on Twitter yesterday. So I basically, <laughs> um, my pre-coffee um, angst, I put out a tweet that basically said, when your people are dying in a NATO proxy war and you pose for Vogue, you are not a leader. You are a morally bankrupt NATO-controlled parasite, of course, bearing in mind um, the the amount of offshore accounts that Zelensky has proven to have, his listing in both the Pandora and the Panama Papers, etc., 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 who his backers are. He definitely forms part of the billionaire money laundering complex that's been profiting from uh, Ukraine for for decades, including, of course, the Bidens, um, who sends his own people to death while dressing up and prostituting himself to Western warlords, which I thought was a was a fair summary of what was going on. Um, when when you start promoting yourself in a in a publication like the Vogue, suddenly um, I came under attack, if you can call it that from none other than uh, Julia Hartley Brewer of talk TV and radio, who said to me, this is a seriously bad take Zelensky and his wife do interviews and photo shoots to keep up Western interest in Ukraine, I wouldn't have thought that that is a big priority right now. I, I, I don't think you could get much more attention from the West than the Ukraine is getting, and Zelensky in particular. The more the invasion is in the news, the more military aid and funding they can get. Um, well, the military aid and funding is off the scale anyway already. This isn't moral bankruptcy. It's a man trying to save his country. Well, I mean, this was a was a sort of a moment of serious virtue signaling from Julia that went horribly wrong and backfired royally. Um, she responded to uh, my comment where I said from to her, "Well, you know, that's a nice take from you on Remembrance Day. Uh, yesterday was Remembrance Day for the victims of the NATO proxy war against Ukrainians in Donbass." And if Zelensky really cared about his country, he would be negotiating peace, not lobbying for more NATO weapons to effectively kill more Ukrainians. So let's see how um, how good her response was to that. Her response, yeah, let's just reward Russia for invading Ukraine and invite them to decide which other nation to invade next. You're so horribly wrong on this. At which point I pointed out to her that, that she really should um, inform herself a little more about the history of the conflict. Uh, I did at this point say to her, if you claim to be a journalist, after all, stop acting like a UK regime mouthpiece. And I sent her the article written by Jacques Baud, the retired Swiss uh, intelligence officer that comprehensively explains the history of the Russian special operation. And from that point on, um, I didn't hear anything from her. Um, one response to her among the tweets uh, pointed out, and I think that this is very correct, 
He said, everyone that is calling Julia wrong in the thread is correct, but she knows she is wrong, and she is only here to push Ukraine officials' propaganda. Why does she always seem to have Ukraine officials on, but not a single Russian on to give their side of the conflict? And if you show the tweet, um, you can see a Ukrainian official presenting uh, Julia with, I think it was a necklace of bullets, but I can't see the tweet. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, uh, yes, sorry, right, okay. Yeah, no, here bullets. we go. Yes, yeah. there we go. <laughs> yes, bracelet made of bullets fired on the front line from Ukrainian MP Oleksiy Goncharenko. Um, and also stating he's very thankful to Talk TV and you personally for all the coverage you are doing. So Ukraine thanks Julia Hartley Brewer. Um, <clears throat> but I think what is also interesting is that the Vogue in Ukraine in back in April 2022 ran an article um, basically apologizing for Bandera. The, the title was translated from Ukrainian into English, Who is Bandera? Three books about the legendary Ukrainian. Now, I've read through the article. Nowhere does it mention his um, ethnic cleansing programs of Jews and communists. Um, and in fact, it, it, it not only apologizes, it champions Bandera. Yeah. That's pretty shocking that they would mm -hmm. rip the context out of a piece on Stefan Bandera. Mm. I mean, it's just kind of mm. obvious. You only need to go to even Wikipedia will tell you uh, yeah. half the truth on that. Yes, indeed. Well, let's uh, head over to the United States. Sam Patrick Finesse already mentioned the Bidens. Uh, so let's bring them on screen. And this headline from the reactionary FBI whistleblowers allege FBI scheme to protect Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Yeah, this is from Technofog, which, by the way, is on Substack, probably one of the best uh, legal uh, blogs you can get for the United States, Technofog. The Reactionary is the title of his, his column here. So here's the first family, uh, uh, albeit a couple of years younger. For Joe, looks totally different, of course. This is before all the plastic surgery, or at least the last three or four rounds of it. Uh, but so what's happened here? During this investigation and during the discovery, and now they've found FBI whistleblowers have testified that the FBI itself uh, helped to bury Hunter Biden's laptop in the run-up to the 2020 election by, by facilitating this line that it was Russian disinformation. Let's take a closer look uh, at what's being said here. Uh, the allegations provide to my office, this is Senator Chuck Grassley talking, I believe here, uh, indicate that there was a scheme in place among certain FBI officials to undermine derogatory information connected to Hunter Biden by falsely suggesting it was disinformation or more specifically Russian disinformation. Joe Biden himself used this during a national debate uh, in the presidential debate. So, you know, the FBI is directly involved and it gets worse. Now we can see which members of Congress ran to the FBI and the DOJ to make this happen. Let's take a look at this. On July 13th, 2020, Democratic leaders Chuck Schumer, Mark Warner, Nancy Pelosi, and Adam Schiff yeah. sent this letter to the FBI alleging that Congress was the subject of a foreign disinformation campaign, Russian disinformation, they alleged. The Democrats demanded that the FBI provide a classified defensive briefing on the issue of foreign disinformation and that the briefing should draw on all source intelligence, I use those air quotes there, information and analysis. Parts of that letter were leaked 
to tie the congressional Hunter Biden investigation to foreign disinformation. So there's a congressional investigation against Hunter Biden as well as the laptop story that was laundered uh, this way in the media. So the FBI is directly involved in here three days later. Look at this, Democratic senators, Gary Peters and Ron Wyden, who's also involved in these sort of things, made their own demand of an FBI and intelligence community briefing related to purported foreign interference. You know, I have to remember, these are the months running up to the 2020 election, and polling has shown without any doubt that if, this, if these stories were allowed to air properly um, in the press and if the Justice Department had done their job, um, Joe Biden would definitely have not won. Uh, the 2020 election. So that's the Department of Justice, the top law enforcement agency in the United States, politically taking a political position intentionally and colluding with political members of one party in Congress and Senate. So what does that mean in terms of the balance of power, in terms of the rule of law? What does that mean in terms of a thrown election? It means that you don't, there, there is no expectation of justice um, in the United States, even at that very high level, and even in public view. Yes. So the level of corruption here is just incredible. We'll talk about this as well in relation to uh, the January 6th uh, hearings and also the COVID story, because one of the top uh, personalities in the truth movement, if you will, uh, with regards to vaccine awareness and uh, anti-lockdown movements, uh, she has been sentenced to a federal prison. We'll talk about that in a second. Are, yes, indeed. Okay, Vanessa, uh, on Monday's program, mm -hmm. you were talking about the uh, the attack uh, at the uh, church uh, dedication on uh, in Hama, mm -hmm. in Syria. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a little bit more on that. Yeah, I mean, what I wanted to show was, first of all, a video um, which shows a Sunni Islam imam speaking about uh, forgiveness and leniency towards those that have abused the people that were present at the event. Um, and then you'll see the explosion interrupt his speech. <laughs> Mass sorry, sorry, Vanessa. That was that. Was, everybody, heard, everybody heard that video. Although we couldn't hear it in our pieces, so just start what ah, you were saying there okay. again. All right. No, basically, I mean that demonstrates um, as he was speaking, uh, the drone fell, and I, it shows from another angle the mass panic. There were more than one thousand civilians uh, attending the event. Now, I had a look to see whether the BBC or The Guardian or Channel 4 or CNN had reported on this attack, bearing in mind um, it, it, the drones had effectively targeted not only 1,000 civilians, but foreign diplomats, faith leaders from all uh, religious communities inside Syria, um, foreign faith leaders, etc. nothing, no reports in the BBC. Um, the only uh, media outlet that mentioned it uh, was the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which, of course, is funded by EU money and is opposition or terrorist group bias. And they basically put out the story that those that had been injured or um, killed in the attack, of course, it was one uh, national defense soldier, 
were displaced people from Hama, which was untrue, and also that it was in revenge for the alleged Russian attacks uh, on Friday, Friday morning. Now, what's interesting here, though, when I looked for information on the Russian attacks, of course, what do I find? The usual hyperbole in uh, Western media. Here's just one example. Putin murders innocent children in rare and chilling attack outside Ukraine. Um, of course, I was in Skelbia on Friday when, in fact, the terrorists began an entire new campaign that went from Idlib to Aleppo, to Latakia, to Al-Gab Plain, which is just to the north of Hama. Uh, and if I then looked to the UN, um, and I went to the page of Mark Cutts, Deputy Regional Humanitarian Coordinator, helping to get emergency assistance to civilians trapped in a war zone, one would expect him to have something about it. Instead, his the only tweet relating to, to that area, to that region, is again, um, regurgitating the information that's been given to them by, we were talking about controlled information and paid for information. So he's regurgitating information and um, photographic evidence given to him by the white helmet. Um, and I asked him if he condemned the attack on Syrian Christians and the martyrdom of one national defense soldier, the injuring of uh, seven civilians and soldiers, including teenagers, a thousand civilians present, and crickets, absolute silence. Mm. Um, it's also worth noting that here in corroboration of what I'm saying, uh, Abu Muhammad al-Jalani, who people will remember, who was washed and brushed by PBS and, and by Western PR managers to appear in an um, a, a exclusive interview with Martin Smith, uh, here he is, as Kivok Almasian says, uh, seems to be overdosing on the same stuff that Zelensky's on, talking about taking uh, Damascus, Aleppo, and Hamas. So there is clearly, and it's worth pointing out again, that all of this action and interaction between the terrorist groups began immediately after the ending of the um, trilateral summit in Tehran. But how does the... UK government react to the persecution of Christians by the terrorist groups that they are fund funding and arming and equipping inside Syria. Um, the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss announces a new sanctions package, including sanctions on Kremlin-imposed officials in Luhansk and Donetsk. Um, and the UK targets Syrian individuals undermining Ukrainian integrity, which is extraordinary. What this actually means now is Syrians that are already under sanctions for just being Syrian and for defending their country against foreign-backed terrorist groups are now under sanctions for supporting their ally in Syria fighting terrorism um, in Ukraine. So let's have a look at the two uh, main names among those Syrians, Nabil al-Abdullah, who's one of the leaders, the commander of the National Defense Forces in Al-Skelbiya that was attacked on Sunday, and Simon al-Wakil, um, the commander of the National Defense Forces. Bear in mind, these National Defense Forces are volunteer forces formed to defend the city against invasion by the extremist sectarian groups that would have effectively massacred everyone in those towns had they been able to enter. 
So these two individuals that have defended their Christian communities for the last 11 years are now under sanctions for supporting Ukraine. However, I know for a fact that they themselves have offered to go and fight in Ukraine and they have been turned down. So I asked Peter Ford for a comment and this is part of his comment. It is grimly ironic that the British government has announced sanctions on Christian fighters in Syria days after a lethal jihadi attack on a ceremony of consecration for a new Orthodox church in Skelbie, northern Syria, which has been met with haughty silence on the part of the British government. What is it that London thinks sanctions like these achieve? The sin of the Christian fighters is apparently that they have worked alongside Russia, guilty as charged, Malad. They did indeed work alongside Russia in defending their communities against Islamist militias Britain has been supporting. Are such sanctions far from deterring, not now likely to make resentful Christians even more inclined to fight alongside their faithful Russian allies in the Donbass? Never mind in the thinking of the Foreign Office, it is obviously more important to send a signal, a signal which says we are frustrated like hell by the progress Russia previously made in Syria and is now making in Ukraine and by the failure of our economic sanctions to hurt anybody but ourselves. But at least we can virtue signal with the best of them. I think that's a very good summary. Um, and I also then looked through various opposition media to find information about the Syrian mercenaries that they're accused of sending to Ukraine. In fact, the mercenaries are coming in from the terrorist side and fighting alongside the ultranationalists on the Ukrainian side. And even in opposition media, uh, they are saying that no Syrian mercenaries in Russia's war so far. <laughs> um, and then let, let's have a look at a couple of the others uh, that are being uh, sanctioned underneath the same uh, pretext that Liz Truss is using. So this is an article that was written in June 2022. Um, ignore to some degree the title. This is The Guardian. It has throughout the war uh, penalized and criminalized the Syrian government. But it's talking about blood money. Europe's secretive trade in Syrian phosphates. Now, Syria is one of the world leaders in phosphate production and trade. And let's have a look at the rest of the sanctions. Well, guess what? Uh, it's effectively sanctioning the Al-Sayed company and the CEO of uh, Al-Sayed company for guarding and protection services. Um, and they have been active in the protection of Russian economic interests in phosphate. So this is just a vicious little attack by Liz Trust against the one loophole that Syrians managed to find in the barbaric sanctions that have been imposed upon them by the UK and the US, illegal sanctions, unilateral sanctions. That then led me on to Reuters bureau chief in Beirut, Maya uh, Gabeli, who this morning tweeted out about flour and barley arrived uh, in Tripoli port in Lebanon. She claimed immediately that the flour and barley was stolen based on a statement from the Ukrainian embassy, 5,000 tons of each to relieve um, the food shortages in Lebanon. So she obviously doesn't care about that. And as Arabi Suri, a Syrian commentator pointed out, is this the same ship stopped and investigated by the Turks 
Ukraine and Israel's best ally, and they found out it was another Ukrainian lie. So it was not stolen, and they released the goods to come into Tripoli. So she's, again, this is the media simply regurgitating um, Western uh, or, or Ukrainian embassy lies. Um, and Sayed uh, Mohammed Morandi, an Iranian academic and, and analyst, he tweeted out, the Reuters bureau chief in Beirut works to help strangle Lebanese and Syrians on behalf of Western regimes. The reporter has no evidence of any theft. And in fact, as we know, Turkey released the ship. The U.S. sanctions Syrians and Lebanese to steal the lives of innocent children with assistance from Western media soldiers. And then finally, the tweet from um, a Twitter account called Think Deeper. Russia has 30 million tons of grain. Not every damn ship has suspected stolen grain. But honestly, since the U.S. is stealing Syrian grain and oil, I will add there, it's only fair that Ukraine replace it, seeing the U.S. is the number one supporter of weapons to Ukraine. I can't say fairer than that. So, I mean, if we needed any further evidence of the deep dishonesty of uh, British Foreign Office and uh, the aligned media, I, I can't think of a better example. That indeed. Any thoughts? No, other than uh, this is just a continuation of so much of the same stuff that we've been seeing now for years, uh, and it's getting very long in the tooth. I think that previous comment the person made uh, from, I believe it was a Syrian comment, about how it's just out of spite mm. that they're uh, prosecuting these uh, incredible sanctions constantly, um, and they're not getting anything from it. They, they just continue to lose on their stated objectives in the West, so maybe the grand strategy that the U.S. and Britain are employing isn't actually working. Yes. Did it ever occur to them to reevaluate it? Uh, good question. Uh, let's move on to Israel. So the, the issue of apartheid uh, is back in the headlines, and uh, we're starting to see a lot more articles critical of Israel in U.S. mainstream media. I've noticed an uptick on this in the last few months, uh, and now they're talking about in South Africa, uh, and just to remind people, apartheid South Africa, Israel's apartheid, you see the BDS protests on the lower rung there. South Africa is now calling for Israel to be declared officially an apartheid state and oppressed South Africans. We experience firsthand the effect of racial inequality, discrimination, denial. We cannot stand by why another generation of Palestinians uh, are left behind. Uh, that is from uh, uh, Nalidi Pandor. She is South Africa's Minister of International Relations here. That was at a recent uh, summit. Uh, so th that's one thing that you're starting to see more of. Also, Russia's a little more critical of Israel, I've noticed mm. uh, recently as well. Now, what does this lead to? Well, this is at the same time. Uh, you've got this uh, story about uh, Russia pro procuring Iranian drones. And Israel is threatening to act on this um, and threatening airstrikes, and et cetera, um, over Syria and also threatening Iran as well. So while that was an interesting talking point that came out of the uh, uh, Russia-Turkey-Iranian summit there in Tehran recently, here's, the, here's what just came out. The U.S. is now backtracking on the Iran drone sale claims. Apparently, they have no evidence. John Kirby himself has admitted, we have seen no indications of any sort of actual delivery and or purchase of Iranian drones by the Russian Ministry of Defense. So you right. see how dangerous the fake news is, how dangerous the propaganda is. You know, Israel's ready to threaten war with Iran, ready to act militarily based on what? Fake intelligence, a narrative, who knows? 
who knows who planted it or why, but the, so many times, nine times out of 10, wait a couple of days or weeks and you find out that there's nothing there. Yeah. So, Okay, well, let, let's uh, move on to health then, uh, Patrick, and Simone Gold. Well, a lot of you will recognize who this woman is. Uh, she was definitely on the front lines, America's frontline doctors, but on the front line of the anti-lockdown protests, uh, the sort of the COVID truth movement, if you will, uh, the battle to uh, get people access to other medications like ivermectin and so forth. She was roundly uh, destroyed by the mainstream media. They attacked her uh, and she sort of stayed, uh, stayed, stayed firm through all that. But she did go to the January 6th protests and she spoke uh, with a megaphone there. Here she is. And as a result, she has been indicted and she will uh, spend time in a federal prison. Uh, now, I believe 60 days she's been sentenced. Uh, for uh, t trespassing uh, at the Capitol. Now you have to, you ha well, we'll hear from her in a minute, but you, you kind of have to wonder why was she uh, singled out for these federal charges? You, hundreds and hundreds of people uh, were there. She is protected uh, by the First Amendment as a, as a freedom of speech. She was speaking to the crowd. It was an impromptu speech. She picked up a megaphone. Um, but look at how the media is treating this. There's this demonization campaign that accompanies this doctor known for spreading COVID misinformation is sentenced to prison in role for a U.S. Capitol attack. Uh, and here's another one here. This one's uh, interesting. What's this? Uh, insurrectionist anti-vax doctor. Insurrectionist? Yeah. In oh, wow. Insurrectionist anti-vax doctor. That's a good double-barreled uh, smear there. Simone Gold sentenced to just sentenced to 60 days in prison. So this is the public mobbing that usually accompanies um, these sort of um, uh, indictments, if you will. So Mother Jones there, they're clearly disappointed based on that headline that it was only 60 days. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. maybe. So, but but that that's the new pa pattern, which is you you destroy somebody in the media mm -hmm. and then they go in for the kill and that, that makes the public think that they deserved it, basically. And so uh, I think we do have a clip uh, from Simone Gold. If we want to play that, she's released a statement release a, a statement recently. Uh, yeah, apparently we don't have that. I do apologize, okay. Patrick. Well, she, she's just basically talking about her constitutional rights. This is a, a, a blatant violation of her constitutional rights. She's going to serve. She could have appealed. She's, uh, she, she's opted not to. She pled down. Um, and she w said she is looking forward to serving her time in federal prison. She's going to start her book. She's also got an incredible crowdfunding response from this. I think she's raised almost half a million uh, dollars as a result of that. Right. Uh, somewhere along those lines. So, I mean, uh, she, she's taking the, the high road on this. Yeah. But, you know, clearly I don't see anything that she's done that's out of the ordinary of anybody that's ever attended a protest. She's been singled out because she was a leader. Uh, pushing back against all the pandemic craziness that's being pushed by the U.S. government and governments all around the world. And she took a stand against the pharmaceutical companies. Mm. That's why she's being singled out. Yeah, okay. And, uh, well, let's have a look at this then. Uh, this is from the CDC. Uh, Melio, uh, well, you'll have to read that. Yeah, uh, I don't know my Latin uh, bacteriology here, but uh, uh, melioidosis, something, a, a superbug of... Some sort, there's a new superbug on the loose. The CDC has announced this is a big alert. And this is one of many that we're seeing now on a daily basis yes. here. Let's take a closer look at this. It's just to educate people of what they're looking at here. They're saying this is endemic in the Mississippi Gulf Coast area. Uh, 
Burkholderia, I think it is called, some kind of a superbug. So they claim to have isolated it in soil and water samples. They're, they're saying for the first time, this has been detected in the environment in the continental United States. That's step one. Step two, the strain is responsible for a rare uh, illness, also known as Whitmore's disease, okay? And here's, it gets more interesting. It was identified through environmental sampling linked to, linked to an investigation of two other human uh, meliodosis cases, likely with PCR tests, yeah. okay? So linked to, so there's no direct link anywhere here in terms of any potential epidemic or anything. And here's the important part. The CDC said it had detected one, quote, case uh, of a disease as early as July 2020. It only confirmed the local presence of the bacteria last month. I mean, is it just me, Mike, or is there, is there like nothing here? Mm. And so that we have to ask this question. Is there actually anything here? Does this even warrant um, a national alert? Well, I would uh, suggest that uh, in the past, it certainly would not have warranted a national alert. But as uh, you well are, are well aware, we get national and international alerts for everything now. So, so they're using two, two tools in this article. I encourage people to go look it up. They're, I believe they don't explicitly say, but I believe it's PCR testing and genomic sequencing. Yes. So they take the PCR test, they feed the base pairs they get into a software program which generates a genomic sequence that they look for a match on the gene bank. This is basically the same playbook as just every other uh, announced pandemic. So these are the tools, and you, with these tools, this, this new technology that's being used and overused, you can create through biosurveillance an outbreak anywhere of almost anything. Yes. And so until people realize and look through the, the, the sorcery of this, we are going to be hit nonstop with all of these scare stories, whether it's monkeypox, whether it's this latest superbug, the next superbug, or the next cold virus, or whatever. It's the same playbook. It's the same tools. Um, well, let's uh, move on then to Mark Stein uh, on GB News. And well, he retweeted this tweet this morning uh, from Fran at AFI. Uh, who said, GB News at Mark Stein Online. Glad to see The Guardian corrected an earlier version of uh, Jim Watterson's uh, article on the uh, in which 2015 Nobel Prize winning antiparasitic drug ivermectin was misleadingly called a horse tranquilizer so sloppy. Well, OK, that's one point to make on this Guardian article, which is uh, linked in the tweet. Let's put it on screen. Here it is. Uh, but the main point is uh, GB News faces Ofcom investigation over hosts COVID booster claims. Uh, let's bring a quote from this up on screen. The independent fact-checking website Full Fact uh, said his claim made in a broadcast on the 21st of April was based on, quote, an, in, on, uh, sorry, an inaccurate reading of the vaccine surveillance report, which specifically includes a caveat warning that the data can't be used to determine vaccine effectiveness. Uh, they, say, they said this data source had been repeatedly used to draw the wrong conclusions by opponents of vaccine programs. Um, so... Uh, full fact uh, has is added again. Uh, it's resulting in an Ofcom investigation of Mark Stein and GB News. And I'll make the point that in terms of mainstream uh, media, he's the only person that has offered or the only, uh, and in fact, GB News is the only media outlet in mainstream media that has offered any support to the victims of vaccine adverse reactions. Um, and uh, of course, as a result, they're suffering this um, this problem. Now, this is an issue, uh, Patrick, because of course, um, 
as a result of the online safety bill when it becomes an act it's going to protect journalistic content but only it's only journalistic content which falls under uh, some form of regulator uh, and so we have uh, an investigation from the regulator of the broadcast media uh, into GB News. Uh, what, what effect will that have in the future? Will it, we see GB News uh, pulling back editorially on this area uh, and you know, effectively, therefore, to get the uh, protections that journalists are entitled to under the uh, Online Safety Act? You've got a self-censor. It's like a protection racket that Isn't they've it? set up. Yes. It's basically what they've set up, a protection racket. You know, full fact is not independent. Um, I, 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 They're not doctors. They have no medical training. They're not in any way qualified yeah. to make an assessment of what the government's pushing out in their uh, in their documents anyway. And they are funded, uh, If correct me if I'm wrong, but they're also funded by what could be construed as vested interests. 100%. Uh, would they not? Um, do they receive any money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? I'm just asking. I don't know that for sure, um, but I am asking. Uh, any, anyone else connected with that's involved in the pharmaceutical industry mm. or anything like that? That's the first question. And why do they always have, why is, there, why is the rule to defer or default to, with any information, that vaccines are effective? Why is that the default position? I would think that it's up in the air. It could go either way. So you present someone with any data, any report, people have a right to draw their own conclusions from that. If the conclusions that Mark Stein is drawing is that is, these vaccines are not effective, that is his judgment of it. Let the facts and the science speak for itself and it is not the responsibility of governments or any other quangos to write in there and sort of referee uh, free speech and journalism. That is just ridiculous. You can't call yourself a free country or a democracy if that's your raison d'etre. Indeed. Uh, and related uh, then is this in the BBC this morning. This had me in stitches in many ways. Uh, UK heatwave colon. Uh, weather forecasters report unprecedented trolling. And of course, this is all about maintaining momentum. Uh, the online safety bill has been pushed back until the autumn uh, because of the Tory leadership election. Uh, and But they've got to keep the momentum going. So let's just see what they were saying in this article. Weather forecasters faced unprecedented levels of trolling during this month's extreme heat in the UK. According to le leading figures in the industry, the BBC's team received hundreds of abusive tweets or emails questioning their reports and telling them to get a grip uh, as temperatures hit 40 degrees. Uh, BBC Met meteorologist Matt Tiller said he never experienced anything like it in nearly 25 years of working in weather. I mean, honestly, if the worst of this so-called abuse uh, was uh, people telling them to get a grip, if that's the worst example that the BBC could come up with, then it wasn't really that bad, was it? But in any case, uh, what seems to be going on here is more whining from the BBC that they're getting criticized for the way that they are presenting information. Um, and uh, so, you know, when you propagandize, uh, of course, you're going to get a response from the general public or at least a section of the general public. Uh, it's hardly surprising. We should have sympathy for the mic. They have a very hard job. Imagine having to push all that uphill every day. Well, indeed. From nine to five. They deserve our respect, I'm telling you right now. Well, and just uh, Matt Taylor was very depressed about it all. Uh, it's a more abusive term tone than I've ever uh, received. He said it's shocking, terrible. Well, maybe ditch the heat map maybe next time, Matt. What do you think? Well, that might be a start. Uh, yeah. By the way, they're now going to start naming heat waves. Oh, uh, so in the same like way, hurricanes. That, like hurricanes. And, uh, but in this country where we've always had, you know, Atlantic depressions and, and uh, autumn and, and spring storms and winter storms, we name those now to make sure that we get the maximum 
propagandized uh, pressure on people and fear, we're now going to start, start naming uh, heat waves as well. Are they going to use the Greek alphabet like with COVID? Or is it there's too much competition there? No, there's competition there. We'll find some other names for them. Don't worry. Sure, sure. Yes. Yeah, they're running out of hurricane names and they had to sort of move into other things. But yeah, that's really exciting, Mike. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll end on this story then, Patrick. Yeah, this is a bit of a uh, local story. It's an important story, though, because there's a lot of people out there that own property. Now, if you, if you, if we, we said this a couple of months ago. We said that there's double tax coming down the pipeline, and it's starting to appear now. You're starting to see more of the media uh, talking about this. So the powers to tax second homes, this is a Cornwall story, but th this can be a national story as well. It's being delayed till 2024. What exactly are they talking about here? Under the, pro the proposed for a new premium on second homes, local councils in England will be able to charge double council tax on homes which are furnished but not used as a sole or main residence in an effort to, quote, tackle the housing crisis. You see who they're targeting there? They're targeting the Airbnb market. Yes. So these are working class people who've done well, who've managed to move up a little bit, or middle class people who've worked hard, managed to get a second property, and they're going for them now. And the government has been working on this for a very long time. And what's going to happen? A lot of properties are going to end up on the market very soon with announcements like this. What's that going to do to the price of houses? Mm, right. Oversupply well, in the market, drop in price, more recession, yes. etc. I mean, what we've got to say on that, Patrick, is of course in Cornwall, for example, there is a problem with this because people are coming from London buying a Cornish properties, and there is a housing crisis in Cornwall. But that is one particular area of England where you could uh, perhaps justify some targeted effort there, but this is a blanket thing right across the right across England. Sure. Yeah, you you make a good point on Cornwall. That's a yeah. big gripe, of especially of locals. Yes. Uh, housing's become unaffordable. But just think about this story now. Now let's co let's move let's line this up with something like what happens if they open up the credit spigots again? Right. Uh, in 2025, and so a lot of new first-time buyers will get in with cheap money, lower interest rates, and they'll inflate another housing bubble. So these are cycles. And so we're, we're in one cycle right now, and you can see how it's being engineered, how the government is very, very much involved in engineering these cycles. Yes, indeed. Okay, well, look, thanks for that. Thank you very much, Vanessa, for joining us as well. We'll be back in a few minutes for a little bit of extra. Uh, but if you're not joining us for that, uh, we'll see you on Monday. Oh, no, in fact, sorry, I should t say we will not be uh, having a news program on Monday because uh, the Brian and, and so on will be traveling back from the festival. So no news on Monday. Uh, we'll be back on, on Wednesday as normal, 1 p.m. See you then. Bye-bye.